0: And I'm going to read tonight and pick up where we left off from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by... Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Sound like a Southern Baptist convention. Now I mean this, that each, of, each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Paulus, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, that no man should say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anybody else or not. Isn't that amazing he'd say that? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to gospelize. He did not send me to baptize people, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. I want you to follow the outline, and here we go. Unfortunately, we have become more accustomed to mutiny and rebellion and strife and broken relationships and divorce than we have been accustomed to reconciliation Unity, partnership, and sharing. It's unfortunate, but it's true. It's true in the cities. It doesn't surprise us when we see the network television uh, newscast and see that there is strife and division in the cities, people against people. We're accustomed to that. It's, It's unusual, it's strange when it's different from that. You've heard Ann Murray's song, the hit song two years ago. Oh, just if I could just have a little good news today. No, uh, nobody robbed a liquor store in town. Nobody burned a building down. Just, everybody's just happy. It's, we're more accustomed to strife and war in the cities than, than not. It's true in the, on the college campuses. It's true in the military. Um, This old world will know its wars and its rumors of wars. But something like that, but that was never intended for God's people. There was nothing, there's nothing that cuts more closely to the quick than a church divorce. Nothing hurts worse than that. But unfortunately, churches are known today by their strife and their division and their animosities and hatreds. Unfortunately, churches are known today by the quarrels and the wars that go on within them. How God must weep. And my prayer is every day, O oh God, keep us together. And Paul was concerned about a about the impending church divorce that he saw in First Corinthians. He began to see the cracks in the foundations of that church and he began to see a church divorce impending. And so he couldn't sit still and he writes a letter, 1 Corinthians. Now if you wanted to boil this letter down to one word and make it say one word, it would be the word that's found in verse 10, the word exhortation. That's what it is, an exhortation, especially the first six chapters. Now the word exhortation in the English is a combination of two Greek words. They mean to call and alongside. So that you put them together and it means to call alongside for the purpose of causing one or helping one to choose a different course of action than he is now pursuing He's calling them alongside in order to help them pursue a different course of action than the one presently pursued. It would be like a teacher who's, who has a student that's failing in her class. Nobody's like that here, but you know, you know, in the imagination, wildest imagination can, can consider that. The teacher has a student that's failing, so she calls him alongside her. She says to him after class, I want to help you. You're failing your, your grades. I want to help you. I want to tutor you a little bit. I am want to help you get on the right track. It will be like an employer who has an employee that's negligent in his responsibilities. And so he has a little conference with him one morning, and he calls him alongside, and he says, Now we've got some problems here. You're not productive, and I want to encourage you and help you. There is tenderness in the exhortation. The Apostle Paul begins the exhortation with the word brother, brethren, he says. There's a tenderness, there's tenderness in that word. This is gonna be a family talk. They're gonna talk like brothers here. He's gonna give them the advice of a brother. There's tenderness in that word, but he adds to it some authority. He says, brethren in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he does that, he puts a little, he gets them by the throat just a little bit. Never will forget one. One day we we were we we were in we, we, we were chapel over at the, at uh, southwestern seminary. Uh, they chose some uh, students to preach. You know, one week preaching week. And Lee preached at preaching week. I got to hear him. Uh, they they chose some of the best preachers and they had them at preaching week. And and I was sitting up in the balcony of chapel with my with a black brother that I went to seminary with. And this guy got up there and preached. It was a marvelous message. Just it was just right down the line but just didn't have any fire in it enough fire for that black preacher after it was over when he was walking back to class I said well how'd you like wasn't that great he said yeah he said that was great he said fit it went right down the line homiletically he said but I was just wishing somewhere in that sermon he'd get us by the throat well the apostle Paul gets him by the throat when he adds the phrase in the name in, in the Lord Jesus Christ he adds some authority to the, to the tenderness of this thing let me see if I can illustrate. Um, you're, you're coming in late. It's, uh, you've been out on a, on a business trip and it's after two, 12 o'clock in the morning and you're coming in. And you drive into Durant and the streets are vacant and empty and dark and you're headed home. Come to that stop sign about two blocks from your house. As you approach that stop sign, you look in all both ways, not a soul in town. So you just kind of slow down, go right through that stop sign. And just as you do, you notice somebody comes around the corner, and lights are on, and they just kind of follow you. They follow you a couple of blocks, and, and, and you don't really, you know, can't tell who it is. But as you pull in your driveway, this car pulls up, just a, uh, you know, just a car like yours. Guy gets out, plain clothes. He says, hey, friend. You know, it's friendly enough. There's some tenderness in that. He hey friend, how you doing? Beautiful night, isn't it? Coming in late, I guess. Been out on a business trip, yes. And, you know, you're thinking, here's an old buddy said, I want to talk to you about that stop sign you ran a while ago. Well, okay, let's talk about it. Well, I want to talk to you in the name of the police department. You know, Durant America. And all of a sudden, this tenderness and this interest and this concern has added to it some authority. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul's going to talk like family. This is a family talk. And I want to join him in that family talk. But I want to name the name of the Lord Jesus and put some authority to it. Now, the exhortation to is, can be found, can be labeled in, in two, uh, two ways. There's a twofold exhortation. It is both negative and it is positive. The negative exhortation is this, that there be no divisions among you. That's the negative. Now the word division is a key word. It's the word where we get our word schism. It means to rend or to tear, to rip. It's used in the 27th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, verse 51, when it talks about the veil of the temple. And it says it was torn in two from top to bottom. It was ripped in two. Now, the Apostle Paul, in the exhortation by the authority of the Lord Jesus, says, I see some tears in this fellowship. It's torn apart, it's ripped in two. This church is experiencing, he's saying to the Corinthians. That rending, that schism, that tear. Now the positive exhortation is this, that you all be agreed and complete in one mind, in the same mind. That is, that you have the right attitude. When, when he says in the, in the same mind, he's talking about an attitudinal thing. You see, every action is the product of thoughts. Thoughts. Every action is the product of an attitude or a mindset. And so he begins where he ought to begin. He's talking about a right kind of attitude in the thought process. Actions are the product of the thought thought process, the brain. And he says you need to be complete in the same mind. In the same mind. Now the word complete is a healing word. Now watch this. It's a word that is used in the New Testament for the mending of the nets. Now, in the attitude that you're to have in the church, there there should be this healing among you, like the mending of nets. It is used in the New Testament for the setting of a bone where where the physician would get the person and he'd very gently and tenderly, he'd set the bone so that the arm could be useful again. In the attitude of this church, he's saying, there needs to be that kind of healing mindset where you get with one another and you, you set the bones so that the life of the body can be productive. But it is used in the Old Testament for the adjustment of an instrument. Now, I think there's a way to illustrate that. I want you to turn with me to the book of Judges. Let's do it right now. Don't punch your wife and say, Turn there, honey, and I'll... um. I'll take a trip up daydream, uh, down daydream gulch here while you're turning in. Everybody turns to the book of Judges, last chapter. Now, now, the book of Judges is Joshua, Judges, Ruth, etc. It comes after the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. It's easy to find over in the Old Testament. While you're turning, let me set the background of this book. Before the kings, God used men to lead His people. He worked through men called judges. Are you with me? Shake your head like this. That's right. God used these men called judges before kings. Gideon was a judge and Samson and Barak and Jephthah. These were judges that God used. And there is a, a vicious cycle that you find in the book of Judges, a vicious cycle. These people would be under, a, under the bondage of some pagan authority or nation and they'd cry out to god for deliverance and help god would send them a judge some man he could work through and they and these judges would lead them and they'd repent of their sins and they'd find some relief and god would intervene and they'd find help and they'd start living good lives again they'd be free from their bondage and when they got into prosperity started a descent again It's a vicious cycle and they got into bondage because of their sin they'd cry out to god and the whole cycle would start all over again. It appears 13 times in the book of Judges, that vicious cycle. It's a phenomenon of Old Testament uh, uh, theology. Now, you know why the cycle uh, happened the way it did? Why, why, why that occurred like that? Well, the answer is in the last verse of the book of Judges. Look at that with me. Reading verse 24 first. And the sons of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe... And family, and each one of them went out from there to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Watch this. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, when you come to this word complete in the New Testament, it parallels the thought that's in the last verse of the book of Judges. They did not adjust themselves to one another like the adjustment of an instrument. Everybody in Corinth was doing what he his own thing. Everybody in Corinth was looking out for number one. Everybody in that church was doing what he thought was right in his own eyes. And there was this total chaos and anarchy within the church. Everybody doing what was right in his own eyes. Now, it is impossible and undesirable that there be uniformity in the church. But it is possible and it is desirable that there be unity where everybody adjusts himself to one another and the body functions that way. Now, he names some specific problems. I mean, the generalization is that there there was this lack of oneness of mind that mindset that adjusts itself and mends and heals. But, but then he gets specific, and, and he starts kind of, um, like a guy told me out there in, in Hale Center, he said, after I preached the sermon, he said, well, you hit me tonight. He said, boy, you were hoeing right up next to the corn. Well, you guys probably don't understand that. You've been city folks over here in Durant. But what he meant was you're getting specific. All right? These are the specific problems. In Corinth. Look at verse 11. There were quarrels. There were quarrels. It comes from the word which means contention and bickering, rankling, and hagg- haggling. It means grumbling. There were quarrels. Now, where did that come from? Let, let me show you something. Satan is not the source of quarrels in the church. Now, now, Satan's a pretty bad character, and he's, not, he's undesirable, but he gets credit for a lot of things he's not responsible for, just to be honest with you. A lot of times we forget that the world and the flesh are just as evil in nature as the devil. So where do these quarrels come from in the church? Well, I'm going to show you. They came from chapter 3. Look at chapter 3 with me, beginning at verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as, spirit, as to spiritual men... But as to men of flesh. Now hang on to that and underline that word. But as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. You don't cram um, bacon and, 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 and uh, T-bone down a baby. I gave you milk because you were babes. You couldn't eat solid food. You're not able to receive it. In, indeed, even now you're not yet able. Now watch. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like natural men, like mere men? Now, where do these quarrels come from? They came from the fleshly nature. Now, I need to explain what that means. Before you you were saved... You lived on the basis of the old sin nature. You you inherited that old sin nature from, from Adam. The propensity to sin, the old sin nature. And when you got saved, let's say some of you shared tonight, you got saved when you were 25. You received a new nature, a spiritual nature. The spirit was made alive, but the old sin nature didn't die. The old fleshly nature, the nature of the flesh, the nature of sin didn't die, just got a new roommate. And the new roommate was the spiritual nature of man, made quickened by the Holy Spirit who lives in the spirit of man. Now this new nature, this new roommate, starts putting down the old roommate. You ever had you ever had that happen? Do you have a roommate in college that was just, you know, you were kind of the odd couple? You were sloppy, and he was just, <laughs> or the exact opposite. You were maybe you were sloppy, and he was just immaculate. You know, he's always putting you down. You ever have a guy like you just? Hated him, didn't you? Come on, Alec, confess. Or maybe you had this phi beta kappa, you know, was your roommate, and they were just studying all the time, making all these great grades, and they'd bring in these grades, you know, and just intimidate you. That that's what was happening. That's what happens here. The old sin nature gets a new roommate. And this new roommate is the spiritual nature and the spiritual nature begins to put down the old nature. And there is, watch this, there is this war that takes place all the time. That's why you're torn apart all the time between the flesh and the spirit. Now the problem with Corinth was that the old roommate was in charge of the room. What was wrong in the church at Corinth was that the old roommate was in charge of the, of the, of the church. And, and the Apostle Paul says, now when that happens, you're going to have quarrels among you, but because people are not living on the basis of the Holy Spirit, they're living on the basis of the old sin nature. If you've got quarrels in your family, if you've got quarrels in the church, just mark it down. It comes because you're living in the flesh. Amen? I heard a weak one somewhere. Come on. Up. There's a second problem. It is clicks. Look at verse 12. Now, the big four is mentioned. It says, Now, I mean this, that each of you is saying, I'm of Paul. Now, Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles. And so probably in this church at Corinth, there were these Gentile Christians converted to Christianity. And in this freedom that Paul preached to the Gentiles, they found new freedom. And from this new freedom, perhaps, they found this, they, they became licentious. Listen, we have freedom to do what we want to. Paul deals with this later on in First Corinthians about eating meat offered to idols. So there were this group that said, We belong to Paul. Then there were some who said, I belong to Apollos. If you want to know what Apollos is like, you read the 18th chapter of the book of Acts and it says that Apollos was mighty in the scripture and when the Jews came to Ephesus, he confounded them is the Greek word. The Greek word means he nailed them. He knocked them in the dust. He was an intellectual giant. He came from Alexandria. Alexandria was second only to Athens as the intellectual capital of the world. And so in this church at Corinth, there were these intellectuals that followed Apollos. Man, when he preached, he confounded them with his intellect. And he was effervescent and dynamic as a preacher. And so there were those in the church, and we're of Apollos. Then he said, there are some of you who say, I'm of Cephas. It's the Jewish word. And so it obviously refers to those Jews there who had this legalistic and formalistic background coming right out of the Pharisaic uh, uh, profundity of, of the Jewish religion. We're of Cephas. Then there were some who were saying, well, we're just of Christ. We're a Christ group. Now that seems like a good group. I'm going to be of a Christ group. Especially when you turn to the third chapter and the Apostle Paul deals with the same problem and he just names the first three groups and excludes the Christ group. Seems like that's the group to be a part of. But I want to challenge you when you get home to read the 10th chapter of 2 Corinthians and he deals with this group again and he talks about them as though they were piously exclusive. I mean, they're the great ones. We're just of Christ. and there's this exclusivism, this this piety that that reigns supreme in the church at Carth. Well, we belong to Christ. We, you know, you you fellows over here, you know. Now, watch this. When you have division in the church, you have quarrels. And when you have quarrels, you have cliques. Now, there. Let, let me say parenthetically, just to kind of as a side. There are five things that you can, you can set your mind on. Five possible things that can occupy your mind. You can occupy yourself with things and you'll become a materialist. You can occupy yourself with situations. If the situation is good, everything's fine. It leads to false security. If the situation is bad, it leads to depression. If you occupy your mind with situations. You can occupy your mind with self and it will lead to pride or disappointment, ingrown eyeballs, I call it. You got ingrown toenails and ingrown eyeballs. I mean, you're just thinking of self all the time. It will lead to pride or disappointment. You can occupy yourself with others and it will lead to two things. It will lead to disillusionment. That happened to me one time. I started looking at other people in the church and it led to disillusionment. I wanted to quit. I wanted to say, well, this is it. I don't want any part of it. On the other hand, if you occupy yourself with others, it leads to kind of an adoring of other people, a pedestaling of them. And that's what was happening in the church at Corinth. They were adoring these men. They were pedestaling these men and were saying, we're of these men or you can occupy yourself with the Lord. Cliques. What do cliques lead to? Cliques lead to pride. Now, what's this? He says, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, now this is hard to believe. It's hard to imagine that this is true. But in the church at Corinth, they, they, they took pride in who baptized them. I mean, can you think of anything sillier than that? Who baptized you? Well, Fortnitus baptized. Well, he's a no name. I mean, who knows him? Paul baptized me. That led to pride, you see. And he said, I, "I don't, I don't even remember who I baptized." And the whole idea is that here were these name droppers. I belong to this group, and they dropped these names, you know. And he baptized me, so I got to be a lot better off than you because I got this direct line to heaven. He put me under the water, you know. I mean, he's next to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist, you know what he did? He baptized Jesus. I mean, so I'm right down here. Now, the Book of Proverbs, Living Bible says. Pride leads to arguments, and we're right back where we started. Did you see that? I mean, this thing unfolds just so logically. Arguments lead to cliques, and cliques lead to pride, and pride leads to arguments, and arguments lead to cliques, and cliques lead to pride, et cetera, et cetera, ad nauseum. Now, this is what Paul said He said, I didn't come to baptize. Um, now now at the risk of um, saying something on television that I can be quoted later oh you know who cares (laughs) Uh, there sure isn't that much emphasis here on baptism I wonder why so many people put so much emphasis on baptism he said I didn't come to baptize if baptism is essential to salvation you think he'd say that I didn't come to baptize he said I came to gospelize. Now, you're not going to catch this if you don't just hang in here with me. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? He's saying, got all this stuff going on in the church and everybody's all in uproar about who's the the best and who's the greatest and all this quarreling going on. He said, let me tell you what we need to do. We need to get back to the first order of business. That's winning people to Jesus. I'm here to tell you, that if the folks of First Baptist Church would just get out here on the business of winning people to the Lord, we wouldn't have time nor energy to fuss all the time. And about three or four years ago, you know what I decided to do? I decided, well, you know, I was trying to stamp out this fire and stamp out that fire and get everybody all happy. I decided, well, garbage, rain on it. I was going to make, I was going to put my energy on the winning of lost people and let other folks do all the fussing. I'm still doing that. The first priority of any church is to is to gospelize, is to evangelize, and if we'll just do what we're what we're commissioned to do, and called to do, and saved to do, there wouldn't be any place, or time, or energy for anything else. And the problem in Corinth, when you when you draw the bottom line, was that they just failed and forgot to do the main business and that's to present the gospel of Jesus Christ now this is what he said he said I, didn't, I came to preach to, to gospelize and I didn't come to do that with flowery words you don't have to you know uh, you guys who are thinking about being preachers bunches of you here I'm sure I mean you, you don't have to uh, you don't have to be clever As a matter of fact, when a person tries to be clever, he detracts from it. I mean, just hold up Jesus. That's what he said. That's all I'm doing, just holding up the Lord. That's the main thing that anybody has to do. The main thing you have to do in your business is hold up the Lord. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Now, I... I, um, is there a soapbox? I, I, I got up, down. I sat down there in, that, in the Southern Baptist Convention, appalled at what went on. Absolutely dismayed and disgusted. And I thought, what a waste of time that we spend all of our time, all this print. We, we sent out these, I just get these volumes of stuff that come to my desk, just hundreds and hundreds of pieces of material about, you know, who's who's liberal and who's who's inerrant and who's all this. And I thought, what a waste of time and money when the world is going to hell. We're down there by the, by forty thousand strong arguing with one another, getting up and screaming at one another. It's amazing that the only time we had that many people together as Southern Baptists was a, so we could get out of there and fight with one another. It's a disgrace. What we need to do is just get on with the main business, the apostle said, of gospelizing the world. Are you doing it? Now, I see three applications. The first application is this. You divide a church when you multiply disharmony, disunity, and pride. You divide a church. You want to know how to divide a church? You just multiply disharmony, disunity, and pride. Second application. You subtract, I get this from verse 17, you subtract from the message when you add a display of the flesh. You subtract from the message when you add a display of the flesh. Three. I like this one. You exalt Christ when you lift up the cross and become obscure in its shadow. You exalt Christ when you lift up the cross. And become obscure in its shadow. You know what the world longs to hear? That Jesus Christ came and died for our sin. Remember the first time you ever heard that? I shared one night, one Wednesday night, God laid on my heart that the name of a man that I talked to in the hospital, I hope he's watching tonight. Somebody just ran that stop sign and streets weren't the streets weren't vacant. And God laid this man's name on my heart. It happened about three weeks ago. He had never been inside of the church except to a funeral. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? He'd never been inside of a church except to a funeral. And God said, I want you to go see that man, witness to him, and I did. Went into his house, and people in the room, I said, Could y'all, would y'all mind stepping out here? I, I want to talk here to this man. And they did. And, and, he, and, the, and, and the man is, 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 is critically ill. He, he, he may not be able to, uh, re, you know, to return to a normal life. He's very ill. And I said to him, I said, I've come to tell you, God. All I was trying to pray a while ago. God put me on your name on my heart. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. He started crying. I said, Now, do you believe? that Jesus Christ came from glory and walked on this earth and He took a cross up a a hill and got up on it and died for you. That's all I said. And God opened up fountains of tears. And I said, as I held up the cross, I said, would you like to pray be saved he said i sure would i don't want to go to hell and so we prayed and he was saved Uh, lady stopped me in the hall of the hospital last week she hollered at me said uh, said sir and i turned around she said are you a preacher i said yes ma'am i look sick i look like a preacher she laughed. She said, No, I, I think I know you. Is your, is your name Tidwell? I said, Yes, that's me. And she said, You led my uncle to the Lord. She called his name. She said, I want to tell you about the miracle that's happened in his life. She said, I don't know what caused you to go into his room the first time, but I know that a miracle has happened in him. It seems to me that what this dying world needs is for the church to quit fussing and start holding up the cross and become obscure in its shadow. Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to talk like family tonight. We want to be like brothers, and yet there is that authority of your word. Now, Lord, if there's if this message, if this word that's from your word is applicable, relevant, germane to any of us, I pray that you'll use it like a sword, two edged, to divide asunder both soul and spirit. Thought and intent. Joint and marrow. Devastate us, Lord, with your convicting power about the sin of commission and omission that pervades and prevades and invades every church. And help us in absolution of repentance. be before God like fresh, mature grain before the scythe, bowed before the sovereignty of God in repentance, in sorrow, in confession, to the point that our lives begin to take on the reflection of Jesus Christ. May it begin in this pulpit and in this pew and from those who hear by television until the anointing of God can come upon His church and revival can begin. Because I pray in the precious name of Jesus, as I exalt His name, and for His sake, amen. Three invitations. The first invitation is for unbelieving men and women, lost people, children, who by faith will claim salvation's plan, gift, eternal life. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For the wages of sin are death, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have you ever trusted Jesus and Jesus alone in trustful surrender tonight? We invite you to do that. Second invitation is for those of us who are a part of the body of Christ, who are are negligent and... And to failed in the first job, the first task. Now, we've been good doing other things, but not in gospelizing. Make a public repentance of that sin of omission. And a vow to God. Or to join the church. Third invitation. To place your life in the fellowship of the believing group. Called First Baptist of Durant. Well, this thing one stands there two, So we're going to hurry. We're going to wait on you. I believe if God's going to get you to do it, you'd already decided to do it right by now. So it won't take long while we stand and sing and come.